Good crossing, and a wide, brilliant finish! And here's the danger, Sam Kerr is away! Is this to be her moment? Miedemar! And Vivian Miedemar scores again. Welcome to Football 51. If you love the beautiful game but want to know more about the football played by 51% of the population, that's women, we've got you covered, tactics and all. Magic is in the air as the FA Cup fourth round has served up some spellbinding stuff. And we'll bring you all the reaction as Ipswich leave Huddersfield mad as hatters, luck rains down on Southampton and Manchester is blue once again. Plus we'll be taking a look at the medical side of the game with dementia and ACL injuries. That's all coming up on this episode of Football 51. What better way to start our discussion of FA Cup weekend than with an upset? Yeah, that's what the FA Cup is all about. The magic of the FA Cup, famous for giant killings. And there was one this weekend, wasn't there? What was it? Tell us all about it, Sophie. I'm not sure you'd really call it a giant killing, but the only team to to win against um, a side in a division higher than them was Ipswich Town. So Ipswich Town are in Tier 4, and they played Huddersfield Town, who are in the third tier. They beat them 4-1. And it was quite actually quite an impressive uh, game for one player in particular. 16-year-old Maddie Biggs. She scored her first senior hat-trick for Ipswich Town. She's actually only played for the first team 12 times. So a very, very impressive game for her. All the goals came on, on counter-attacks from Ipswich Town. They'll be delighted with that with that win. They're the only Tier 4 side left in the FA Cup. So they'll be into the fifth round. They're now actually the lowest-ranked side in the competition because the bottom side in the fourth round, Billericke were knocked out on penalties by Lewis. Ooh, sounds very close. Yes, the hometown of Gavin from Gavin and Stacey is they're most famously known for. They also have a women's football team who are pretty decent. You know, they took Lewis pretty close. But how close did they actually take them? Well, it was one all in full time and then 5-4 in the penalties. Oof. So this is, this is you know, Lewis are eighth in the championship and Billericke are sixth in South East Division 1. <laughs> you know, that's quite... It's quite impressive from from Billericke. I think that, you know, sometimes it's the excitement, isn't it? It's the possibility that you could really make a difference and and make a stand. Yeah, and speaking of making a stand, Lewis uh, did, you know, something a little bit special themselves. They did indeed. So you could see on social media before all the games, Lewis were wearing special T-shirts. Now, on the T-shirt, they had a picture of a man which had £180,000 written next to it and a picture of a woman which had £2,000 written next to it. And basically they were trying to raise awareness about the unequal prize money in the FA Cup. Now for people who don't already know, Lewis is a club that are really focused on equality. They pay their men's and women's sides the same amount of money and they make a really big deal about you know making sure that they're giving the women's game all of the attention it deserves. So they were, they were trying to make a stand there. It is quite a big disparity you know the total prize money of the men's FA Cup is over a hundred times more than the women's competition and actually some clubs are saying that if they have an away tie they lose money if they're in the women's FA Cup shocking which is ridiculous but then I don't know they they don't generate the same kind of income I've seen a lot of angry 
people on Twitter saying, oh, how? why should they deserve the same amount of money? I don't know what you think about it. Claire. Well, it's always like a question of if you don't give it the investment, how is it going to generate investment? You have to give it money for it to be able to make money. It's quite a difficult thing to just start them off with nothing and then expect them to create something out of that. Football in itself is a very entertaining game and you're always going to get fans going along to it. But when it comes to the point that, like you were mentioning there, teams are losing money by entering the FA Cup, you know, the oldest competition in football history, when it comes to a point that you're questioning whether you should bother entering it just because you might lose money, then that's a sad state of affairs and it really is a shame on the FA. They really should be sorting that out for sure. I think so. And I think, you know, if, if people are saying, oh, they don't generate the same amount of income, you know, it was the FA that banned women from playing football for 50 years. <laughs> so, you know, it's not like they have the same grounding and it's just not as popular a game. You know, before it was banned, they were getting 35,000 people to their games, but they just haven't had the backing to build up you know, to build up that audience and to build up that revenue. And it's actually been quite interesting. There was uh, an investigation published in the Mail by Claire Bloomfield, who is a brilliant women's football journalist. And she was highlighting some other, you know, disparities between the men's and women's game. And I think this is a big one for people who say, oh, you know, why do women want to have as much as the men? It's not about that. It's about having, you know, the basic things, like enough money to go to an away tie. So she found out that Spurs have to bring their own sandwiches to training because there's no fridge there's no catering Birmingham players have to have a packed lunch Brighton players had lived in houses with rats Southampton players with mice unbelievable you know it's it's just it's just these things where you're like "Mm, that's a basic human thing it's a basic working workplace right I mean I've seen stories in the men's game of teams who have like specific like heating and cooling devices just for the boots to try and like uh make the boots more comfortable on players' feet. So you're saying that football boots for the men are less important than the actual players in the women's game. I mean, I'm not obviously I don't think it's realistic, especially at this stage, to suggest that you can achieve or maybe even demand total equality when it comes to funding and payment. But like you say, it's just about giving people a fair chance. And if, if you don't invest, then you're going to get these problems of quality of product like we've spoken about on many other podcasts before. It's not going to become better unless money is invested. And, you know, we're going to have to keep banging that drum on podcasts like these, I think. I think so, too. It's interesting you say about about the boots, because actually I read a tweet that said, Deanna Cooper of Chelsea was asked by a fan, can I have your boots after the game? It's a special thing. And she literally said, I need them. Like, I can't afford. They're my only pair of boots. Exactly. I'd love to give them to you. And also, apparently, some team, I'm not sure which one, didn't say in the report, but... They actually were given men's boots and had to wear extra socks so that the boots fit them. What? It, it, which is ridiculous because it's not just the size, you know, there's things that make men's feet different to women's feet. It's absolutely ridiculous. Unbelievable. I mean, there, there was also, you know, as well as the shocking things we're hearing about there, there was another really annoying display of lack of funding in the Crystal Palace Southampton game, wasn't there as well? It, it didn't. It didn't end as everyone expected, did it, Kai? No, the game had to be called off because of a waterlogged pitch again. You know, we spoke on, I think it was the first episode of this podcast, in fact, about waterlogged pitches and how much they are affecting the women's game and how easy they are to fix, really, like we were talking about earlier with a little bit of investment. Sorry, I'll tell you the story of the game. Crystal Palace were 3-0 up, 80 or so minutes played, and they were playing Southampton, the other fourth-tier team left in the FA Cup at the minute. And the game had to be called off because of a waterlogged pitch. The referee deemed that the ball was not running smoothly. Therefore, you know, according to the rules, she had to call off the game. And it's really sad to see. 
It's unfortunate for Crystal Palace, particularly because obviously they were 3-0 up. They scored a few goals. It's always a confidence booster to get a goal-scoring win. You know, even if you're expected to, Crystal Palace are a championship side. Southampton are a fourth division side. You obviously expect Crystal Palace to win. What happens now? What happens now, indeed. The game has been rescheduled until Sunday, so that will be the 2nd of February, where it will take place once again, Crystal Palace versus Southampton. It wasn't the only game this weekend in the FA Cup that was affected by adverse weather conditions, though. Liverpool chose to move their FA Cup fourth-round tie against Blackburn Rovers to Bamber Bridge, which isn't normally where they play their games. They normally play them at Prenton Park. But the men's team, Tramia Rovers, were playing Man United in the Pren- at Prenton Park on Sunday. And there were fears that it wouldn't have enough time to uh, recover because of all the rain that's been going around in the country at the minute. It's really frustrating to see. You know, it was a great result for Liverpool in the end anyway. It was a great result for Liverpool, really. I mean, you know, a team that scored, uh, that's only won one game in the WSL this season to come away with an 8-1 win. You know, they'd, they'd beaten Blackburn Rovers 6-0 in November in the Continental Cup. So, you know, they'd expected to win, but it was a big day. And it was a big day for Rinsola Babajide, wasn't it? It was indeed. Uh, she got some goals, her first few goals of the season. A whole four of them, in fact. A literal hatful and then one. You know, it's fantastic to see for her. We were sort of... Ironically, you know, it seems that whenever I slag someone off, they tend to do quite well. You know, I was slagging off Sam Kerr in the first episode. I was slagging off Rincero Babaji Day last week. And, you know, they, they start scoring. So you're, you're welcome, guys. I don't want to claim credit for it or anything, but, you know, you've done well. And I'm really happy for you. I think it's quite interesting because what you were saying last week about Liverpool was, you know, they're, they're a team that's focused too much on their defence. Mm. And, you know, they, you're praising their goalkeeper. And, you know, they did put a lot of effort to keeping the top teams to, you know, a very small amount of a goal difference, you know, keeping as much of a clean sheet as they could, you know, and not focusing on scoring. And they were putting too much pressure on Babaji Day. And then she comes out, you know, she's only scored three goals this season. And then she comes out and scores four in this FA Cup tie. You know, I think we were saying that obviously she they put a lot of pressure on her. They put too much pressure on her, maybe. So it must be quite nice for her to, you know, have a game where she can really make a difference and earn, earn those Liverpool colours. Well, definitely. I mean, you like to see it when Liverpool actually let loose against teams who they view as probably lesser than them. No disrespect to Blackburn Rose, of course. They actually can do it and they can play well and score lots of goals and play quite attractive, entertaining football. It's just a shame that they don't do that more in the WSL. But we'll be talking about that in the WSL shows next week. Hi, I'm Kim Little and this is Football 51. From the bottom of the WSL to the top of the WSL, we're now going to have a look at what happened to the big, biggest teams in the FA Cup this weekend, starting with Man United against Manchester City. Oh, that's a mistake. I'm sorry to cut you short because the opening goal is Manchester City's and it came out of a horrible error. And of all players to give it to Ellen White. White looking for a second, and that is devastating. Hemp with the cross, the drag back to White, the finish. Oh, she scored, James. We picked her up. She's not let us down. She has made the impact, and she may well have changed the whole complexion of the tie. to win it back and they do so oh it's in and they've got a third goal Jill Scott played it oh, but can't come for it 
and it's surely over the line. No, it looked over the line. The assistant's on the far side said it hasn't crossed. There goes that corner towards Roebuck, and there's a tangle of players, and it's an own goal. And it is 3 2. Yes, that's right. Manchester City reigned blue in the big Manchester derby of the weekend. It was 3-2 to Manchester City in the end, just beating United. But it was quite a close encounter. What happened, Kaya? Well, that's right. Uh, Manchester City went into a two-goal lead and it looked like they were coasting against their local rivals, Manchester United. They were obviously the favourites, being the strongest side, top of the WSL as it stands. But Lauren James came on and really started to change the game for Manchester United. She managed to get one back. And they start getting shots off, which is something they were struggling to do before. They weren't really testing the Manchester City defence or uh, Roebuck in the Manchester City goal. So once she came on, it became a lot more tighter affair. City got one more that made it 3-1, but a late own goal made it 3-2. It was a real scramble towards the finish. And, you know, possibly a sign of champions, Manchester City managed to hold out for the victory. Yeah, I mean, Lauren James' goal was brilliant, wasn't it? You know, there wasn't very much space and she just suddenly managed to find that gap on the left-hand side of the goalkeeper. It looked like the goalkeeper was right against the post, but then she just managed to find that gap. It was really impressive. Yeah. But there was a bit of controversy, wasn't there? Yes, there was indeed. No Manchester derby is complete without a degree of controversy, even a little bit, and this one was no different. Abby McManus, whose mistake had led to Ellen White's opening goal, had won a header from a corner that looked like it across the line when the game was e- was sort of finally poised at 2-1 to Manchester City. It looked as though that she might have made it 2-2. Whether the ball crossed the line was it was such bad camera angles in the stadium, so it's very difficult to tell on the replays. I think Yumi had a little bit of a disagreement over whether it crossed the line. Yeah, I, I don't think it did. I, I mean, it's very, very hard to tell because Roebuck is in the way of the camera angle behind the goal. That's the problem. But I think... I honestly like the whole ball has to cross the line and I think that it was kind of a little bit was on the line what do you think I don't know I think the way Ellie Roebuck sort of like reaches back and it looks like she's clawing the ball slightly like back across the line it looks like it's crossed the line it looks like it's a goal but without the goal line technology that Casey Stoney was talking about a few weeks ago it's very difficult to tell yeah, Casey Stoney really wanted that goal line technology. Like, there's a big debate about VAR, isn't there? Mm. And that's obviously a bit more open. But she was saying, goal line technology is black and white. You know, we need it. But then then again, you're saying in the FA Cup, you know, Ipswich Town, fourth tier, are they ever going to have the money to have goal line technology? I don't, I don't know. Probably not. But in games like this, which is such sort of high ticket items that are going to get the most viewers, then you might as well have the correct decisions and have a little bit less controversy and a little bit more football, if that makes sense. We can definitely agree on that one. Yeah, but anyway, Manchester City then went up the other end almost straight away, made it 3-1 and, you know, more or less secured the game, even though there was that late own goal that made it 3-2 and quite a tight finish. Manchester City, so they survived that scare, Hmm. but they actually face a very big challenge next week. So they'll be playing the WSL title holders Arsenal, not once, but twice. (laughs) So Arsenal played West Ham in the FA Cup this weekend. They did indeed, and there was no FA Cup surprises in this one. The Gunners came out on top 2-0 in the end, thanks to goals from Katie McCabe and Leah Valti. 
quite interesting after their quite narrow display against Chelsea last week where we spoke about in the podcast about how they just tried to dominate the middle of the park and the midfield. Joe Montemiro clearly learned his lessons because they got their width back a bit more. Yeah, they did for sure. I think it was really interesting that Beth Mead and Lisa Evans started because in the game last week, you know, they weren't on and that was Arsenal were really struggling in the attack. You know, there was too much pressure on Mead Mar in the middle of the park. And then when they came on, they really made a difference, you know, sending all those balls through. So I think it was a big statement from Joe Montemurro trying to rectify that mistake, which led to them conceding three goals in the first 20 minutes. So they're really trying to to bring back that wide game. And it's quite interesting, actually, against West Ham, who've who've struggled with their width in their, in their back line, which we saw against Spurs. Definitely. We've spoken in the past two podcasts, in fact, about West Ham's struggles at full-back and how they're letting in so much space for good wingers like the likes of Beth Mead, you know, those kind of players to get in behind. And it's just not a feasible option going forward in terms of defence. They're leaving their back two way too exposed. They're overworking their goalkeeper and, you know, it's going to be difficult for them going forward if they want to keep playing like this. They need to, as we've said so many times, work out some way of just keeping a little bit more balance to the side, a little bit more protection for that defence, and then just let the attack go forward and do their thing, and they'll be a lot harder to beat. Aside from West Ham, you know, the team they lost to have had a busy week. Arsenal have made a few January transfers. Is that right, Sophie? Yes, they have. So it was the end of the transfer window last week and Arsenal signed Catelyn Ford, uh, who we actually talked about last week, about we how she she was um, one of the youngest players to play in the, in the World Cup and she is going to make a big difference to the Arsenal side. But it's unfortunate because obviously Australia have a run of, run of friendlies coming up. Yeah, she's another one of the Australian contingent who's come to join the WSL, but uh, it looks as though her... Australian Olympic build-up friendlies are going to be put at jeopardy by the coronavirus. Is that not right? Yeah, so they're going to be moved, actually, back to Australia. So originally they were meant to be played in China, but because of the fears over the coronavirus, they're going to uh, they're going to play them in, in Australia. And, you know, it's um, Australia's been a big talking point, actually, of the WSL recently, because Bristol City um, signed Australian Chloe Legatho. So it's... Um, you know, the Australians are, are really infiltrating the league. See, who says we don't do hard news on women's football podcasts? We're talking coronavirus, we're talking immigration policy. It's, it's a big deal. It's heavy stuff here. Now we're into the section that you've all been waiting for. The awards of the week. Let's start with player of the week. Who have you gone for, Claire? I've gone for Rinsada Babajide, who got her four goals this week. After I gave her so much stick last week, I feel it's only fair that I give her her praise when it's due. Yeah. Big weekend for her, and yeah, congratulations. She did really well. I've gone for Maddie Biggs of Ipswich Town, that 16-year-old with the first senior hat-trick, to get her Tier 4 team into the fifth round of the FA Cup. Makes That's perfect huge. sense. Makes perfect sense. Very rude of me not to ask you in return. I apologise, but what I will ask you is, what is your moment of the week? Oh, I, I had I had two. Uh, I think I'm going to go for the Lewis T-shirt. I was going to go for Ellen White's second goal because the way she managed to direct it into the goal with just a subtle move of her foot was absolutely beautiful. But I think Lewis making a stand about the FA Cup equal pay with T-shirts was really important to me. Yep, Ellen White is a phenomenal goal scorer, so I'm sure there'll be plenty of other times in the coming weeks where we can have her for our moment of the week. But you're right, Lewis making a big stand. Fantastic moment of the week. I've gone for Ipswich going through... Big result for a fourth, fourth tier team to get through to the next round of the FA Cup, into the fifth round, into the hat. And who will they be facing? Well, I guess you'll have to stay tuned to find out. 
We've got a new section on our podcast this week. It's time for News of the Week. Kaya, what's your big story of the week that we haven't already talked about? Well, I uh, read quite an interesting article. I do read from time to time. And I read an interesting article on uh, ACL injuries, anterior cruciate ligaments. Um, It was in The Guardian and it was quite an interesting piece on how the women's game is suffering a lot more ACL injuries than you see in the men's game. It's very interesting. Susie Rack did brilliant work there, you know, going to the place where they're doing the research and really shining a light on on what's happening there. Yeah, and I also have heard in the past, you know, the likes of Julia Simich, the new West Ham signing, talking about how she struggled with ACL injuries in the past. She was really unfortunate. She got one in her first training session with the German national team. So obviously her whole career had been a build-up to going and playing for the women's national team. She gets there. She tears her ACL. And the story she told was, I mean, it was devastating. The fact that she she wasn't really allowed to use the West Ham women's physio because the physio was part-time. And she had to spend her time looking after sort of the fit first-team players who were at West Ham at the time. And she had no time to help Julia Simic with her recovery and her recuperation. Julia Simic herself was saying that she was lucky to have had Bayern Munich, who she was playing for at the time, pay for her career-saving surgery. It's, 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 it's devastating to hear. It's the kind of stuff you just don't really consider when you're talking about the men's game. Yeah, and more research really needs to be done about kind of when it's more likely to happen. You know, there's different theories about, you know, the weather or menstrual cycles or different things like that. But pe- people don't really know. And you d- people are out for a long time. You know, Jordan Nobbs, Daniel sure. Carter's sure. still out. Aoife Mannion. Well, it's famously the worst injury that you can get in football. It leaves you out for at least nine to 12 months. And with these poor services and conditions and treatment tables and lack of research, it seems like those uh, injury times and injury periods and layoffs are going to be getting even longer. But Sophie, you've been keeping an eye on something else within the medical profession? Yes. So Sue Lopez, who um, who used to play for England, she was actually the first British woman to play semi-professionally abroad. Wow. She's 74 now, but in her career, she played for England 22 times. Uh, her career spanned three decades. And she's actually come out and said that the dementia that she has now, she believes it's because of heading the football when she was playing. And the FA says there's not enough evidence to change the game's rules. But there was actually a really important, I mean, you may have seen it already, but there was a really important bit of research done in the men's game about, you know, how how much how much does heading the ball affect dementia and things like that. But there were no female players yeah. in the study. So, yeah. you know, maybe that research needs to be done now. For sure. I mean, it's very interesting to see that these not just in football, but in all sports where you sort of get constant head traumas like heading the ball, those sorts of injuries that can develop, not at the time, but over a long period, years and years later, there's not been nearly enough research into how it can affect people and how it can cause serious illnesses in the long run. You know, in Scotland, it was quite interesting that they've stopped children from heading footballs. They only use sponge balls now. I don't know if anyone remembers sponge balls from the playground. (laughs) I had a great time with them. You know, it didn't used to hurt as much when I got whacked in the face by one. But on a more serious note, it's it's time that we started looking at these things with a bit more of a scientific um, a scientific eye and not just saying, oh, they're footballers. They should be able to get on with it and just deal with the pain. This is serious head trauma and serious, you know, long term illnesses and conditions that are being caused by a game that we all love. We've got some more of that game that we all love coming up this week. Midweek, we've got the Continental Cup semi-finals where Manchester United host 
Chelsea and we've also got Arsenal against Man City so some really big ties midweek and on the weekend we've got WSL ties galore but the biggest tie probably Man City against Arsenal again there's also Reading against Manchester United in a potential battle for fourth in the table yeah as if one big team clash wasn't enough you've got two next week you lucky things women football fans Arsenal versus Manchester City twice probably two of the best teams in England, arguably the two best teams, but you know that's a whole other debate for a whole other podcast. I think given that we've been talking about the FA Cup for the whole of this podcast, it's worth noting the upcoming draw for the fifth round. Some really interesting ties in there, isn't there, Soph? Yeah, there are. I'm going to list them super quick. Bristol City against Everton, Coventry United against Spurs, Leicester City Reading, winner of Crystal Palace Southampton against Brighton Hove Albion, Man City, Ipswich Town. Oh dear, it's the top of the WSL against the Tier 4 team. Arsenal against Lewis. Sunderland against Birmingham City. And Chelsea versus Liverpool. Some really exciting ties to look out there and we'll definitely keep you covered when they're on. And that's almost all we've got time for on this episode of Football 51. Remember that if you want to keep in touch with us, you can message us on Twitter, which is at Football51Pod capital F in football with the number 5-1 and then pod with a capital P with the same on Instagram so get in touch we'll be back next week with all the WSL and Continental Cup action good cross in and a wide brilliant finish and here's the danger Sam Kerr is away is this the Miha moment Miedemar and Vivian Miedemar scores again